0: This is all live, by the way, Ryan. No, we're streaming all this. Ryan just told me to stop being
1: myself. I've never felt more assaulted in my life, John.
2: I don't feel cared for one bit. I don't. We're helping you get relaxed. This is not working. (laughs) (laughs) That should be the cold open. I like it.
0: everyone welcome to the midtown midweek i'm your host jake and with me for the first time ever we've got two special guests we've got we've got pastor john ludovina going for his three p with this sermon patrick is that sports (laughs) super sports
1: it's like soccer hockey you get three in a
0: row i love hats it's like a turkey in bowling uh with me as well is the right reverend ryan reich greetings Ryan, this is your first time on the podcast. How are we feeling? This is my first time on this
2: podcast. Yes, I'm feeling great. So
0: to recap us, we just heard the sermon from John from Matthew chapter five, talking about people of reconciliation and that because of Jesus reconciling us to himself, we need to be people constantly modeling forgiveness and reconciliation. So John, I want to hand the floor over to you as well. Part of the reason why we have Ryan here is because being our care and recovery pastor, just to help equip us to be more emotionally intelligent, uh, relationally mature. So throughout this podcast episode, he's going to be giving us some insights and words of wisdom as to how to be people of reconciliation.
2: Anything you want to add to that, Ryan? I mean, I had a lot of things I wanted to say, and so I just invited myself to be on the podcast. That's great.
1: All right. So some of the stuff that didn't make it into the sermon and there were so many things I wanted to tag and hit on. And I just kept cutting them all to keep the sermon short because we're on video and I hate doing that. I want y'all know me. I want to preach for an hour and 15 minutes every time. Classic John. It's not the best. So uh, one, I just, a few of these I mentioned in the sermon, I want to speak to people like myself who tend to hide our anger. And I've really, I've even been reflecting on this. I think sometimes people think I'm a little bit more aggressive and or angry than I am uh, if they mostly see me in a pastoral role in a position of authority. But the truth is with my peers and with people who are in authority over me, I am not like that at all. I'm not very aggressive. I'm much more timid. I'm much more likely to kind of beat myself up, rage in, assume the worst about myself, leave an interaction very frustrated, but assume that it's me. And so that's some stuff that like I've been working through in counseling. So a lot of that insight Uh, rage in was just stuff that God's been giving me freedom in and insight to be able to see it. Um, and it doesn't always change what I do, but it's helpful to just be aware. It's helpful to know that that's my tendency. So, um, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to keep talking about this forever. Uh, but it does obviously still cast a pretty big shadow on my life right now. Um, with my dad passing away this summer, um, in processing my grief Anger has been one of the biggest pieces of that that Mm. I didn't necessarily expect because I think, in a lot Mm. of ways, I thought I had already worked through most of it and I thought I had already forgiven him for so many things, Mm. which I think was true. But still, there were more layers of anger that I've had to dig into. And one of the things that my counselor had me do, which if you ever lost someone and this might be a helpful practice (laughs) for you, uh, but my counselor asked me to write a letter to my dad. I did not want to do this. Mm. I thought this is a silly counseling thing, it's not going to be helpful. And um, I I pushed it off. I <laughs> procrastinated on it. I did not. I didn't want to schedule it. I really just didn't want to do it. And then something kind of prompted me. It was an ex, uh, an experience with my family where I got all up in my feels. I got real in my head, and it just felt like the right time. And so I, I you know I really think God's spirit just kind of led me in dumping. And I was surprised at how much anger came out. Mm. And In my grief process, it has been the single most healing thing thus far Um, because now I was at least being honest with God and I could deal with it. I could figure out what I needed to do next. And I don't think I'm done doing those next steps, but at least I have some clarity on what they are and I trust God to walk through those next steps with me. So uh, for those of you who like me tend to shove anger down, push it down, rage in, uh, it doesn't help you be a healthy, faithful, mature follower of Christ. And that's what God wants for you. He wants you freed up to be honest about your anger so that then you can actually figure out what a righteous response to it might be as opposed to an unrighteous response.
0: Yeah, that's good. And just a quick plug, our spiritual practice for this series is journaling. And I think journaling, kind of like what you were saying, is a, a great tool to really process, to dump out, what you're feeling, and there is something too, because I even did this recently, just kind of putting on paper the things that you were thinking and feeling to be able to step back and think about it objectively through the lens of what scripture says is just so helpful Mm -hmm. and healing uh, to, yeah, whether you're grieving or just battling through some unhealthy emotions, it's just so good for your soul.
1: Or even just uh, a lack of clarity, jumbled thoughts and you don't know how to get through it, you're feeling a little depressed, a little anxious, but you don't even know why. Sometimes journaling, just start, write down whatever you do know. And sometimes through that process, the the Lord leads you to himself and he leads you to more and more clarity and he reveals what's going on inside of you. It's great. Yeah, that's good. Awesome. One more quick thing on that. If you are more of a rage in person, this was actually, um, I was in a mentorship relationship with a guy and he, I noticed about him that he never seemed to get mad almost ever. He was real even keel, um, just never really got, impassioned or upset about things which could be a really good thing but in his case i was a little bit concerned about it and so we pressed into it a little bit and we, I, we actually found a book the book's called good and angry um i would strongly david recommend allison it oh. by dan allison david, david allison by david <laughs> <Parlerson>. <laughs> Okay. link in the show notes <laughs> Yeah, so the book is called Good and Angry by David Pollison. And then again today, I was actually talking to another friend who I think this guy would say that anger is a big problem in his life and it's something that he's really newly pressing into and dealing with. And uh, he recommended a book. I haven't read this one or seen this one yet, so I can't recommend it, but he strongly recommended From Anger to Intimacy by Gary Chapman. He said it's the best book he's ever seen on anger. And it's really been eye opening for him to help him understand his anger problem and how to deal with it. So uh, probably good and angry more for the rage in crowd and from anger to intimacy for more of the rage out crowd. Mm. If that's where you're at, I would recommend you check out those books. That's great. Other things that didn't make the final cut. Yeah, sure. So one aspect that didn't really get mentioned at all uh, that I wish I would have time to go into is culturally speaking. I think we have some extra difficulty with all of this stuff because culturally we are all being trained to, magnify our initial immediate emotional responses to people. And that is unhealthy. That is a sign of immaturity. The the analogy I always use here is the baby snake analogy, that baby snakes unload all of their venom right away. And then they're in trouble. Mm -hmm. So you actually would rather be bitten by an adult snake than a baby snake because a baby snake will give you all the venom it's got. An adult snake is smarter he might get you with a little venom, but he's not going to unload at all because he knows he could get bit again. He could get attacked by something else. So he needs to hold some back. Hmm. And I think that's one of the things that comes with a little bit more age, a little bit more maturity is that not hesitance, but the wisdom to not go all out with your first gut reaction, but to have a little bit of suspicion about your first gut reactions and make sure that you're reading through your own emotional responses to get down to the truth the truth claims that you're believing and to analyze those. And so our culture doesn't believe in that. Our culture says, whatever your initial what your truth is, what your emotional reaction is, go with that. Yeah. Be true to yourself. Don't let anyone tell you anything else and magnify it and go up. And it's a, uh, it's really unhealthy. So I think it leads to a lot of the political polarization that we're seeing and just lack of ability for people to walk in long-term relationships or, or have a conversation with civility and nuance. Because that's not encouraged culturally. Yes. Uh, it's the same thing with the news cycle. The articles with the craziest, most outlandish headlines are the ones that get clicked. They're the ones that get read. So everything is encouraging us to to be. It's what one person I've heard referred to before as outrage porn. That outrage is proof that you care enough about the things that matter. And actually... Outrageous proof that you probably have some emotional immaturity yeah. and an inability to stay stable and to know who God's made you to be and which things you need to respond to and how. And so I'm not encouraging people to do nothing, but to, to have a little bit more level hand to know who God's made them to be and to, to respond in kind.
0: Yeah, that's good. And I mean, that's one reason why we use the digging deeper chart. Uh, That's one thing that's mentioned every week in Life Group, as far as the things you are feeling, believing, let's dig down, what are the lies you're believing about God, uh, to where the more you practice that, the more it starts to become second nature and you're starting to have a handle on your emotions. Not to say like we uh, shut down on our emotions, but that we, as you said, are quick to be suspicious of why we're feeling what we're feeling more quickly. That's, That's right. That's great. Ryan,
2: what are your thoughts on that? So... One of the things that I have noticed in our church family, but, uh, certainly in our culture, but, but more specifically within our church family is kind of my realm of influence, I reckon, that my emotions I either categorize as positive or negative, good or bad. I have a, I, we have a strong tendency to moralize our emotions. So anger, for example, I think most of us would say if we're just asked, All of a sudden, is anger good or bad? Oh, anger is bad.
1: Bad. That's a bad bad. emotion. Anger is a
2: bad emotion. It is a negative emotion. Uh, We tend to moralize them. I'm I'm bad for feeling angry. I shouldn't feel angry as a Christian. I don't, you know, all of these bad emotions, I shouldn't feel those. And we tend to, you know, associate some emotions negative, some as positive. I think a better way, a more biblical way for us to think about our emotions uh, is... An emotion is not necessarily good. An emotion is not necessarily bad. How I respond while I am feeling that emotion can be good, can be healthy, can be bad, can be unhealthy. Mm. But just because I'm feeling an emotion doesn't mean that there's anything wrong. It just, it, uh, the way that uh, a friend who is a counselor talks about it mm. is, um, she always says that emotions are like the the lights on the dashboard of your car. Yeah. Mm. They let you know that something's going on. Hey, something's off here. Something's amiss. And it's just, I'm just alerting you to that. And so, what I've found in meeting with people and doing counseling is that there can be a lot of guilt and shame that people harbor just because they are feeling emotions. Whereas they haven't done anything wrong, they haven't done anything outwardly sinful in their emotions. But even the fact that they feel, that they feel, so strongly anything that they feel uh, is good I actually want to give us a few other categories sometimes it is good to feel bad and what I mean by good I mean healthy appropriate godly so it is appropriate that we would grieve the death of a loved one if somebody close to you passed away and you did not feel sad we would all say "Uh uh-oh Something is wrong. This is not good. This is not a healthy response. Like in a worst case, you're moving in a sociopathic direction. Exactly. Uh, If you see injustice play out right in front of you and you don't feel indignation, Mm. there's something off there. Mm. So I want to feel indignation. I want to feel some anger if I'm watching injustice play out in front of me. Sometimes it is good to feel bad. On the flip side of that, Sometimes it's bad to feel good. It is unhealthy to feel good feelings. For example, if I am taking joy in the pain of others, that's not good. That's unhealthy. If I feel proud when I get something that someone else doesn't get, it is not that. That's that's bad. It is bad to feel good, even though I'm feeling proud. Uh, if I feel hopeful that my affair is going to remain in secret, that's bad. It's right. bad so, hope. So yeah. I feel hopeful but that's a bad time to feel hopeful. Yeah, I love that example because we think of hope as a good thing. That's a good emotion, but not in that case. Exactly. Mm. Sometimes it is good to feel bad and sometimes it's bad to feel good. And I think when we when we allow I mean as Christians who are covered under the grace of Jesus, giving ourselves some space just to ask what am I feeling right now and not judge what I'm feeling right now, right? Mm. And this can be taken this can surely this can be taken uh, to a bad place, right? Let's say if I just sat in what I was feeling and didn't take it to the Lord, uh, I would say that's pretty unhealthy. I'd say it's pretty unhealthy to sit in a feeling and, and not invite the Lord into that. I would say that's not moving in any positive direction. If someone is, uh, so hyper focused on their feelings, but, but not inviting others into that, uh, that can turn into spiraling, which can be really unhelpful, unhelpful and can lead to a lot of unhealthy decisions. Catastrophizing and all kinds of other cognitive yeah, distortions. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, just the other day, for example, I was, I was noticing that I was starting to feel some anxiety. And so I reached out to a friend. I, I said, hey, this is what's going on. This is what's inside of my head. This is why I'm feeling... I, I, not, even, not even processing necessarily why I'm feeling what I was feeling. But I was able to say, I am feeling anxious about this upcoming future event. I'm feeling anxious about this upcoming future event. And saying that out loud made me realize, I don't need to feel anxious about that. Mm -hmm. It doesn't help the future event do anything different.
0: Are there verses, scriptures that come to mind when it comes to how we should process emotions in a healthy way?
2: You know, Jake, I always think about Psalm 42 and 43. One of the things that that david does specifically psalm forty two five and eleven, he says to himself, "Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation, and my God." What he is doing there is he is allowing himself to to feel what he's feeling, and then he is preaching to himself what is true, even if he doesn't believe it. So what he's doing is he is allowing himself to feel what he is feeling and then he's preaching truth to himself, hope in God for I shall again, praise him. He recognizes I'm not praising him right now. This is not a good place to be. He owns that. He's not pretending that he's praising God, but he is saying, I will again, praise him. It's going to come one day. Mm -hmm. It might not come on this earth, Yeah, but there's going to be coming. There's going to come a day where I will yet again, praise my salvation and my God. And so what I don't want for us to do, the two extremes, make our feelings our God, make our feelings ultimate, and follow our feelings. But I also don't want us to, because we feel so strongly about our feelings, we feel a lot of guilt, or we feel a lot of shame, or we feel a lot of confusion about our feelings. I also don't want us to just pretend like they don't exist. Mm -hmm. I don't want us to not take them to the Lord. My hope for our family would be that as believers, we know that we have access to God no matter what's going on inside of us. No matter the, even if the feeling, let's say we're feeling shame because what we've just done is very shameful. I still have access with God through Christ Jesus.
1: Going back to one thing you were saying earlier, Ryan, one of the proofs that I think we have that, emotions are not to be moralized as good and bad categories is the fact that as you read through the scriptures, God experiences all of these emotions. Yeah, God experiences anger and wrath towards things that are deserving of anger and wrath. Yeah. God, Jesus weeps over things that should be wept over. Injustice hurts his heart. The broken hearted get to Jesus, right? He notices when we cry. So there's all these things that we think, oh, I'm not supposed to feel like that. And God's mm-hmm. up in heaven like, well, I do. Why? Mm-hmm. You're made of my image. Why do you think you shouldn't? You actually should. You should feel about things the same way that I feel about things. And um I, there's a really helpful little book that, that's helped us a lot in the series. It's by Sky Jathani. And it, the book is called uh, What If Jesus Was Serious? And it's kind of this visual guide to the Sermon on the Mount. And one of the things he has in there is a wheel of emotions. But it has all these different kinds of emotions and then we only think that we can connect with God in the emotional pie piece of rejoicing. Oh, yeah. And it's like, that's so inaccurate. Yeah. That's so limited. Yeah. God actually wants to know us and wants us to know him in the midst of the whole circle of emotional experience. He wants us to lament with him, rejoice with him, weep with him, mourn
2: with him. He wants us to do all of life with him. While we're, while we're on the topic, I do want to make a book recommendation. Uh, if, if feelings and emotions are something that you have pondered. What in the world does it look like for me to process these as a Christian? I would like to recommend the book Untangling Emotions. It is by Alice Dare Groves and Winston T. Smith. It's called Untangling Emotions. We'll put those in the show notes. Put in the show notes. That's the phrase I learned today. We'll put those in the show notes. And um, when I say that this book has been the most helpful book that I've read in two years, I really do mean it. Like you're not just saying that. I'm not just saying that. I get no cut from you purchasing this. You book. say that a lot about different books. I I am very expressive. I'm expressive, and I feel strongly like God. Mm.
1: One nugget I really wanted to hit on that I didn't get. I didn't have enough time in the sermon. Uh, for leaders out there, wherever you might be leading, if you're leading in uh, your Place of work. If you're a, a leader in your business, if you're a leader in the community, if you're a leader in your home, in your family, if you're a parent, wherever you might be leading, if you are leading, uh, you are by by the nature of the job. You are going to make people angry with you sometimes. Just go ahead and deal with that. Go ahead and take that to the Lord mm. and deal with it. And the question of your leadership is not, did you lead in the way that made the least number of people angry, the least number of times? That's not how we how we think about leadership we try to lead by making prayerfully, considering scripture in community, we want to make the best possible decision we can for the best number of people. When we make that decision, we want to narrate it. That's our way of saying we want to explain the decision with as much clarity as we can so the people understand why we made the decision we made and why it's the best decision for the largest number of people. In that, it's helpful to throw people a bone that the decision is going to be hard for and say, hey, I understand this is going to be hard for some of you because of A, B, and C. So you want to narrate and explain and communicate really well, over-communicate why you're making the decision that you're making, and then let it be. And just know, sometimes people are going to be angry. They're not going to like the decisions you make. Sometimes they're going to respond sinfully to their anger because they don't like the decision you made, and you are not responsible for their sinful response to their sinful anger in that case. Uh, Parents, man, you got to hear me on this one. Let your kids be mad at you. That's part of the job. Mm -hmm. If your kids are never mad at you, I have some serious questions about whether or not you're parenting faithfully because we should be parenting in a way that sometimes makes the sinful parts of our children's hearts furious. That's part of the job. I'm trying to guide them and lead them towards Jesus. And when other people do that for me, it makes me mad sometimes. So it should make our kids mad too. I just want to give people some freedom in that leadership role. I am not saying Jesus really clearly defines that in leadership, we're seeking to serve and to lay down our power to serve those we lead. So I'm not saying go lead like a jerk, go be a tyrant, don't care about what anyone feels ever, quite the opposite. But I am saying that even as you lead in a really sensitive way, attuned to the needs of the people you're leading, you're gonna make people mad sometimes and that's just part of leadership. That's okay. God makes people mad at him sometimes. He's not doing anything
2: wrong when he does that.
0: Yeah. Ryan, anything you want to say in regards to this topic as
2: well? You know, I'm just thoughtful of the person who is feeling a significant, they recognize after hearing what John had to say. So let's say that today you were to recognize that you've got an anger problem and you want to do something about it. You want to learn more. I want to dive a little bit deeper. You reach out and you call a friend. That friend says, Yeah, that's really hard. I'd, I'd recommend going and calling a counselor. So you Google, Counseling, Columbia, South Carolina, you call, you make an appointment, meet up with the counselor, you tell them, listen, I get angry a lot. I mean, I mean, really angry. Sometimes I want to lash out at terrible drivers. Sometimes I yell at my kids. I yell at my spouse. I just really want to work through my anger. I want to stop being an angry person. Most likely, if you were to say this, your counselor would probably suggest talking through some of your family history, find out if there's a pattern of anger in your family. Counselor would likely ask you questions about what you noticed your parents doing when you were young, whether or not they got angry, how their conflict manifested itself. And then what will most likely happen is your counselor would recommend some tools for you to work through. Maybe it's suggesting screaming into a pillow. Maybe it's uh, deep breathing exercising. deep breathing exercises They suggest that you hit an inanimate object or simply stomp your feet until those feelings go away. These methods, are certainly not ill-intentioned at all, we've got to see that they come up short. They, they stem from a worldview that's pretty different uh, than what the Bible offers. So most books that you'd find these days that deal with anger, view anger simply as an amoral emotion, which I, I agree, a, a, anger is amoral. Most books that you'd find these days that deal with anger w- would probably view it, like I would, It's amoral emotion, but they'd view it that it just builds up inside of a person. So the way that you get your anger out is to simply get it out. And the way that the world would tell us to deal with our anger is to find productive and socially acceptable ways to relieve it. A screaming into a pillow, doing a deep breathing exercise. While that might be helpful temporarily, that's, that's actually not going to get to the root of what's going on. And Jesus gives us so much more than deep breathing and stomping our feet when it comes to anger. So even thinking about Mark seven, Jesus says, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. So mm-hmm. Your personal history is very important. The way that you saw your parents interact, that's important. The way that you saw your parents handle your marriage is important. These are certainly foundational ways to your life, but what we have to see is that we are not just the result of our society. We are not just the result of our family. I think a lot of us have the tendency to blame a lot of our uh, our, our shortcomings on our parents. And what Jesus is saying is, sure, there there is... Generational sin that we have to talk about. What Jesus is saying full stop is that what comes out of you is what defiles you.
0: So I think uh if I could summarize, so Alan has talked about it like if you squeeze an orange, orange comes juice out, will come out. Orange juice comes out, and what does that reveal? Not that uh when it comes to our emotions, it's like that was inside all along. Yeah. And perhaps a a counselor would say the point is just to get those emotions out. But Jesus is more concerned with changing you from the inside out. So you are a new creation. He is making you a new person. So he not only wants you to process your emotions, but in sure. a way that is changing you inwardly
2: by the power of his spirit. Is that more accurate? Yeah. And even even more explicitly finding that processing your emotions doesn't actually change anything. Inviting Jesus into what is going on in your life and surrendering those emotions to Him, I, I think that's that is where long-term change is going to happen. That is where we are going to see Him work, Him change us. Him, uh, it's how we die to ourselves. So,
0: yeah. a helpful tool for us, as I mentioned earlier, is the digging deeper chart. We'll put that on the show notes. But I think, and and tell me if if this is accurate, but when we are experiencing things emotionally, to first of all understand that to say that out loud, here's what I'm feeling to then go underneath that, to ask why am I feeling that? Yeah. And then to go underneath that to say is why I'm feeling what I'm feeling based off of the character of God or what he wants for me. And then in light of that, what do I do with it? So it could be that I'm feeling something because like you mentioned earlier, because God's heart breaks for the injustice of the world. So in light of that emotion, what do I do with that? Or or it could be I'm feeling this because I got called out
2: on something. Okay, well, what do I do with that? I need to repent. What I love so much about the Digging Deeper chart, I just filmed a video on this last week for our basic training class coming up. What I love so much about the Digging Deeper chart is that bottom left box. So if you're familiar with the Digging Deeper chart, the top left box is what I'm dealing with. What what am, I, what am I trying to rid my life of? And the question below that is, what does that reveal I believe about myself? So if I'm dealing with anger, what does it reveal that I'm believing about myself? It could be it reveals that I believe that I should be better. And I'm angry at this because I failed yet again. It could be that you should be better. And I'm angry at this because you shouldn't have done this to me. The next box, the third box down on the left says, what does that reveal that I believe about God? And that right there is the most important part of the digging deeper chart, because what you believe about yourself reveals what you believe about your creator. Mm. And, and that box is the hardest one to get because as good Christian folks, we would never say what we write down in that box out loud. We would yeah. never say that we believe that yeah. because it's not our confessional theology, but it is our practical theology. It yeah. is it is our functional theology. It's the, the way that we functionally believe God is. And that's what needs to be repented of. It's not actually the anger itself, though. There's probably actions that come with that, that you need to repent of. Fundamentally, you need to repent of, I need to repent of What do I incorrectly believe about God's character, God's kindness, God's goodness, who he is? What do I believe about that that's off? And how does the cross show me that that's not who God is, that actually in Christ, he who didn't spare his only son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also with him give us all things? That's the verse that I I just keep going back to in the Digging Deeper chart. That is where change happens. When I'm able to recognize the false belief that I have about God, and I'm able to repent of that, that's, that's where change happens. I love the Digging yeah. Deeper chart. Um, the Digging Deeper chart and going through recovery are two things that my life group did over the past five years that, uh, that have really... We, uh, you can look back and see before we had done those things and after we had done those things is really, really different. Which leads me <gasps> to an announcement. Seamless transition. Recovery is beginning on September 28th. Now, it is going to be a lot different this year because of COVID. We're going to have social distancing. Um, We're not even going to be meeting all together each week. And so uh, you will need to pre-register for recovery by Sunday the 20th. So make sure that if you do want to be a part of the recovery cycle this fall, that you register online before before September 20th and uh, you get registered uh, spots are limited. So there's a good chance that uh, if you wait, you may not be able to register and we'll get you into the spring cycle in February. But for our fall recovery cycle, beginning September 28th, registration is required. You can go to midtowncolumbia.com slash recovery to find out more.
0: Midtowncolumbia.com slash recovery to sign up. That's great. Thanks, Ryan. And hope if you are listening and this sermon really spoke to you or the spirit really spoke even through this midweek as far as I really do need to process some stuff. I highly encourage you to check out recovery and sign up for that. It's one of the best things that we do. Quick plug, if you have any questions regarding Matthew or any of the stuff we've been talking about, feel free to email us. The link is in the show notes and we'll try to tackle that towards the end of this series. Thanks for listening, y'all.